0: Greetings, friends. Have you declined from your first love? Have you drifted away from Jesus Christ? If you think that's something of an abrupt beginning to anything, let alone a podcast or a sermon, then you need to strap in for Spurgeon's sermon on declension from first love. We're working through the sermons that he preached that are recorded in the New Park Street pulpit and then in the Metropolitan Tabernacle pulpit. We're coming toward the end of the new Park Street Pulpit, Volume 4, and this week we're reading sermons 213 to 219. If you'd like to follow along, you can do that on Twitter at Reading Spurgeon, or you can get a weekly update at podcasts, where you'll get the weekly reading and then the specific sermon upon which we focus uh, each week for the podcast a representative sample of Spurgeon's ministry and sermon 217 is this week's focused sermon and the title is declension from first love revelation 2 verse 4 is the uh, the text nevertheless i have something against you because you have left your first love and the whole thing was delivered on uh, september the 26th 18 58 on a Sunday evening at the New Park Street Chapel. And it does indeed begin with a bang. He speaks of the testimony of Jesus Christ concerning the church at Ephesus. I know your works and your labor and your patience and how you cannot bear those who are evil and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars and you have borne and you have patience and for my name's sake you have laboured and you have not fainted now the opening of this sermon is really a sermon in itself because Spurgeon turns that declaration of Christ two ways he says wouldn't it be wonderful Isn't it delightful for Christ to be able to say of God's people in a particular place that I know your works and I know your labor and I know your patience, that you're not idle Christians, you've got practical godliness, that you give your whole strength, you exercise all your energies for Christ, that you bear up in the way, that you have this abhorrence of wickedness in your own heart and in the church of Jesus Christ. But he says, which of us can actually say that Christ can bear no witness for some of our works because we haven't done any. We're Christians by profession, but not practice. Some of us, Christ might speak of us. I know your loitering and your laziness and your shirking. I know you boast of the little you do. I know your ambition to be thought something of when you are nothing. Or, says Spurgeon, how often he himself, when he feels weary, wishes he could leave the field before he's actually finished the work. But perhaps the greatest charge, I have something against you because you have left your first love. Spurgeon says now, I feel that I who preach shall this night condemn myself and my prayer before I entered this pulpit was that I might fearlessly discharge my duty, that I might deal honestly with my own heart, and that I might preach, knowing myself to be the chief culprit, and you each in your measure to have offended in this respect, even though none of you so grievously as I have done. Spurgeon effectively sits down in the congregation, and assures them that however guilty they may be, and we may be that he himself feels that he is the the chief transgressor in this respect. It's a sermon then that isn't going to pull any punches, that is designed to challenge us, that ought to provoke confession and repenting in order that we may return to God. And he's going to ask then what was our first love and how did we lose it and then exhort us as to receiving it again, getting it back again. Now, I think this sermon is its quite passionate. It's very earnest. What's striking, uh, especially perhaps in one or two of the sections, is that while it doesn't lack flow, It's not perhaps quite as crisply organised as some of Spurgeon's other sermons. Yes, it's got a, a fairly typical, classical, three part division. What was our first love? How did we lose our first love? And how can we get our first love again? But within those sections, Spurgeon's affections seem to bubble over and he strikes here and there, left and right, trying to bring these things to bear upon our souls. And so he asks then, what was our first love? And he takes us back to the moment when we were converted or that season when we realized that Christ had saved us from our sins. Perhaps uh, the first experience of genuine assurance that we had if, if that took longer for us than it did for others. And he says, think of how you delighted in Christ, how you loved him when you knew that he had loved you and given himself for you. How earnest you were. Not a single thing in the Bible that was not precious to you, most precious. Not a command of his that you didn't think was like fine gold and choice silver. Some of you cannot be at the prayer meeting. Business will not permit you. But when you were first baptized, there never was a prayer meeting from which you were absent. It's the loss of your first love that makes you seek the comfort of your bodies instead of the prosperity of your souls. That first love, says Spurgeon, doesn't last half so long as we could wish. Some of you stand convicted even here. You have not that blazing love, that burning love, that ridiculous love, as the worldling would call it, which is, after all, the love to be most coveted and desired. And so he's conjuring this remembrance of what we were when our love was in its first heat, and then how happy we used to be in the ways of God we would sing all day long. But now religion's lost its luster, the gold has become dim. When we live near to Christ and we're in that first love, it's amazing what a little it takes to make a good preacher to us. When when a preacher speaks of Christ, it doesn't matter what else he is or is not. If we love Christ and the preacher speaks of him, we're happy with the preacher. And yet, We've been thinking of the man's style now or some little mistakes in grammar. Perhaps we don't like his accent. Perhaps we don't like his dress. Uh, We say, well, he's, he's not so great. What's the problem? We've lost sight of Christ and therefore when we hear him, he's not precious to us. Again, when we were in our first love, what would we do for Christ? But now how little will we do? We used to give what we could of our time and our energy and our money. We look back on things that we did and they almost surprise us. And we say, well, I couldn't do that now. Why not? Asks Spurgeon. Why do we always think about what we were and not actually try and be what we ought to be today? Let let God deliver us then from living on has-beens, it will never do to say we have done a thing, to, to trade upon past investments. Brothers, when you and I cease to labor, says Spurgeon, let us cease to live. God has no intention to let us live a useless life. While there's strength remaining, power mentally and physically, if we cease from our office, if we abstain from our labors, there's no solution of this question which an honest conscience will accept. Except this, that you have lost your first love and therefore you have neglected your first works. And so let any man here present who was a Sunday school teacher and has left it, who was a tract distributor and has given it up, who was active in the way of God but is now idle, stand tonight before the bar of his conscience and say whether he be not guilty of this charge which I bring against him, that he has lost his first love. And there's one more. When our first love is lost, then we lose that prayerfulness. We don't any longer have that appetite for intercession. We used to deal with God. We used to groan and plead and truly pray. We enjoyed sweet liberty at the throne of grace. But now we think that 10 minutes will do instead of an hour. We read a verse or two in the morning instead of a longer portion. We we get on with our business, but we don't have time to pray at the end of the day well, that hits hard, doesn't it? That really gets in amongst us. When we think, perhaps any one of us, what we once were when we were in the first flush of our delight in the Christ who saves us from our sins and where perhaps we've come now, there's so much reason for us to be repenting I doubt there's a a healthy Christian who can think through those things and say, yep, you know what? I'm where I ought to be. I'm doing what I should do. I, I, I exercise my graces in the way that I should. I make the most of my opportunities. Truly, if we look back, we might say that we have left our first love and too often the evidence of it is scattered throughout our lives. So how, says Spurgeon. Second question where did that happen? Where did you and I lose our first love if we have lost it? Let each one speak for himself, he says, or rather let me speak for each. So he's trying to put himself now in our foot, in our shoes. He's trying to sit where we sit and he's really providing us with the words of confession and explanation that we need for our present state. Have you not lost your first love in the world, some of you? When you grow richer, You have more business, life gets busier and you begin to have less grace. You're taken up with the things of this world and to be sure you can explain why they're so important and why your wife needs you to be about this and why your family require it and how these other responsibilities have come upon you and uh, the opportunities that you've got now that you didn't have before. But the fact is that the world has sucked away some of your love for Jesus Christ. Again, perhaps we lose it by getting too much with worldly people. He who carries coals in his bosom must be burned, and he who has ill or uh, ungodly companions cannot but be injured. If you don't surround yourself with godly people, but you spend too much time indulging in the, the uh, conversation of the world, the, the, the pattern of the world's living, then you will lose your first love. And here he's really just hitting home one after the other very quickly. Another reason. Don't you think you've forgotten how much you owe to Christ? Yes, we talk about being saints. We know our election. We rejoice in our calling. We go on to sanctification. Have we forgotten the whole of the pit from which we were dug? Ah, remember, my brother, says Spurgeon, you're nothing now but a sinner saved through grace. Remember what you would have been if the Lord had left you, and surely then, by going back continually to first principles and to the great foundation stone, the cross of Christ, you will be led to go back to your first love. Again, says Spurgeon, you've lost your first love, perhaps, by neglecting communion with Christ. And this perhaps is where he feels it most closely. He's now going to preach honestly and preach it yourself. Has there not been sometimes this temptation to do a great deal for Christ, but not to live a great deal with Christ? Are we accustomed to working for the Lord, but forgetful of walking with the Lord? Says Spurgeon, one of my besetting sins I feel is this if there's anything to be done actively for Christ, I instinctively prefer the active exercise to the passive quiet of his presence. What he's saying is that we can spend so much time doing for the Lord Christ that we don't draw near to Christ in order that we might obtain strength and grace for the work and simply enjoy the presence of our Lord. You see, even even saying that, in the light of what Spurgeon is is pushing towards, I wonder if, if that's part of the problem. I want Christ. Why? Because Christ can help me to do something else. Whereas perhaps we ought to be saying, I want Christ. Why? For his own sake. Because of his beauty and his glory and his majesty. And when I enjoy him like that, when I I have that love for him burning in my soul, the other things will follow on naturally. Says Spurgeon, we shall never love Christ much except we live near to him. Love to Christ is dependent on our nearness to him. There are a thousand reasons I might have given, but I leave each of you to search your hearts, to find out why you have lost each of you, Your first love. Well, this is the shortest part of this sermon, but it's certainly not the easiest. Have we been sucked down by the world? Have we given ourselves to uh, interaction with the ungodly? Have we forgotten what we owe to Christ? Have we neglected to walk with Christ and to enjoy His presence? What other reasons might we offer? What other confessions should we make? Perhaps at this point we ought to take a moment or two and just ask, "Lord, where have I lost you? Where is my sense of your greatness and your goodness and your glory? Where is my appreciation of your great graciousness? Where is my delight in you been frittered away? Where is it dried up? Where have I lost sight of your glory and your excellent majesty?" and your love for me? Well, says Spurgeon, if you've begun to answer that question, then seek to get your first love restored. Why? Because though you be a child of God, if you've lost your first love, there is some trouble near at hand. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and he is sure to chasten you when you sin. Spurgeon's warning is not that God will cease to love you but that the love God has for you will show itself in chastening because you will need trouble in order to bring you back. You will need uh, delight in God but the only way to have that is to feel first your need of God If you've lost your first love, what should hinder you but that you should lose your first purity? Love and purity go together. He who loves is pure, says Spurgeon. He who loves little shall find his purity decrease until it becomes marred and polluted. What should happen then if you should end up like David? Oh, says Spurgeon, I don't want you tried and troubled, but God will trouble you if it's the only way of bringing you back. Then again, If we lose our first love, what will the world say of us? Spurgeon is concerned for the honor of Christ in the world, that people should look at the way that we live and think and speak, and they should recognize that there is something that is distinct and different about God's true people. They ought to be looking at us and saying, what do they have that I don't? But if we lose our first love, they won't even know that there's a question, let alone be interested in the answer. They'll describe it as yet another temporary religious spasm, such as we see very often in the world, a passing excitement, but nothing of any lasting value. Spurgeon says it's our boast and joy that the old-fashioned doctrine has been revived in these days and that the truth that Calvin preached, that Paul preached and that Jesus preached is still mighty to save and far surpasses in power all the neologies, the the, the new teachings and the new fangled notions of the present time. But what will the heretic say when he sees it is all over? when the excitement passes away, when that first love begins to fade. He will use it as an excuse to dismiss the whole thing. And then another point. point. There is a thought that ought to make each of us feel alarmed. If we have lost our first love, may not this question arise in our hearts. Was I ever a child of God at all? Now notice what follows. Oh my God, must I ask myself this question? Yes, I will. Are there not many of whom it is said they went out from us because they were not of us? For if they had been of us, doubtless they would have continued with us. Are there not some whose goodness is as the morning cloud and as the early dew? May that not have been my case. Now, Spurgeon isn't trying to dismantle anybody's confidence. He's not trying just to knock down assurance of salvation for the sake of it. But he is saying, you need to think carefully about this. If you've drifted away from Jesus Christ, could it be that you never truly laid hold of him before, that you don't know Christ and that therefore your temporary excitement is now passing away and you are perhaps like the seed that sprang up among the thorns or the seed that sprang up on the the rocky shelf and the, the sun beat down and scorched it. Are you going to prove false? Let me think, says Spurgeon. If I go on as I am, it is impossible for me to stop. If I am going downwards, I may go on going downwards. And oh my God, if I go on backsliding for another year, who knows where I may have backslidden to, perhaps into some gross sin. Prevent, prevent it by thy grace. Let's stop it. Stop it in your mercy and grace now. See Spurgeon's conscious that the the downward slide of God's people is very hard to arrest and that perhaps some who've begun sliding are sliding away because they were never anchored to Jesus Christ. And so he's saying, don't rest with the, the dissipation and the declension of your first love. Hold fast to Jesus Christ because that is the most important thing of all. And then in closing, some among you are professing religion but not possessing it. So give up your profession or else get the truth and sell it not. He's saying search yourselves. Ask God to search you, to try you, to know your ways, to see if there be any evil way in you and pray that he may lead you in the way everlasting. Don't risk hypocrisy says Spurgeon make sure that you know who and whose you are yes he says with regard to my own conscience I know that I have not shunned to declare the whole counsel of God I do not believe that any people in the world should be damned more terribly than you shall if you perish for of this thing I have not shunned to speak the great evil of making a profession without being sound at heart no, I've gone, even gone so near to personality that I could not have gone further without mentioning your names. Well, there's a pastorly heart. There's a shepherd's heart. He doesn't want to point people out. He's not going to name names from the pulpit, but he knows that he's as good as described some of the people for whose souls he is deeply concerned. And that ought to be a preacher's burden. That ought to be the preacher's heart. Preachers don't just strike at random, especially if they're true pastors. They preach to the people who are in front of them. Now, to be sure, sometimes God brings something home that the preacher hadn't prepared, hadn't planned, hadn't thought about like that in advance. But generally speaking, preachers have the people before them on their hearts. They're desperate to see them touched by the word of God, and they know it is their business, in dependence upon the Spirit of God, to bring the truth home close. And that really is what Spurgeon has done for us here. What was our first love? Think back, if you're a Christian, to that delight in Christ that once used to characterize you, to the service that you once readily rendered to the labor that you once gave, to the work that you once undertook, to the the giving which once delighted you, to the communion with God that was once your highest joy. Is there anything of that left or have you lost that first love? Have you drifted away from that closeness to Christ? Why? Well, says Spurgeon, you might need to answer that question for yourself, but here are some possibilities. Because you've grown to love the world, You've got sucked into the stuff of this life and perhaps some job or some hobby or uh, some uh, entertainment has begun to take over all your time and energy. Or you spend so much time with ungodly people that they, uh, the company that you keep has taken you away from the company you should keep. You've forgotten what Christ has done for you. You've lost sight of your sin and misery apart from him and the heights to which he has reached you or you've just neglected your communion with Christ. Oh, what shall we do then? Says Spurgeon, think about what is at stake. Trouble will come if you have drifted from Christ. The world will sneer if you have drifted from Christ. And if you go on drifting, you may prove that you were never one of his people at all. Spurgeon's not fluffy, is he? Spurgeon's just not this cheery, genial, jocular pulpiteer. Spurgeon is Christ's mouthpiece. He's truly a prophet of God, and he is not afraid to ask the hard questions, notice of his own soul as well as of ours. Now, we don't know what had gone on in his heart over the course of the previous week, we don't know what he'd been wrestling with. They don't know precisely what he was so sensitive to that had brought him to preach in this way. But there is this bubbling over. This is real experimental or experiential preaching. It's firmly grounded in the truth of God and yet it seems to come hissing hot from the preacher's own heart and it's borne along by his regard for Christ himself, by his concern for his own soul and by his concern for the people who are sitting and standing in front of him. Well may God grant that we may consider the things that Spurgeon puts to our soul and that we might not lose sight of these matters, that we would be constantly aware of how easy it is to drift away from our first love, and that God in his mercy would be stirring us up, perhaps even by this means, to close again with Jesus Christ, to draw near to him, and in seeking his face, to know his smile, and to enjoy his favour. May God help us in these regards. If you're going to be listening on in another week, it's 220 to 226, crossing from New Park Street Pulpit Volume 4 into Volume 5, and next week's sermon is 222. That's 222, right near the end of New Park Street Pulpit Volume 1, The Christians' Heaviness and Rejoicing. And if this sermon has left you heavy, then perhaps, God willing, next week you'll be able to work through that and God will bring you out into rich fulfillment. But until then, may God bless each one of us and bring us back to our first love. I'm Jeremy Walker, and you have been listening to From the Heart of Spurgeon, a podcast from Media Gratiae. We would love other people to learn about these truths, so please leave us a review on your favorite podcast app. Thank you very much indeed for listening.